everybody. This is No Trick Flick Moments. We are coming off of our one week hiatus. Oh, by the way, I'm Remy. And I'm B. <laughs> Hi, B. Hi. I it's swear. been so long. <laughs> it's been 25 years. No, it's been like <laughs> two weeks since we've recorded. But for some reason, I'm like. We've gotten rust on our joints. We're like, what's going on? <laughs> and then I just had to go through like 25 minutes of audio fuckery. But beyond that. All right. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, MBD. Um, as I said, this is No Chick Flick Moments. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This week, we are uh, following up on last episode's mid-season finale. And the, the cliffhanger that they uh, left us with. The Thanos snap. We are talking about uh, season 14, episode 10, Nihilism today. It was an episode written by Steve Yaki and directed by Amanda Tapping. Um, and <laughs> and as I was writing down Amanda Tapping, I was like, I, I know that name. Do I know that name? Yeah. I think I know that name. So I'm, I'm hearing it now and I'm just like, is that Naomi? It is. It is. Dude. Google told me that that this episode was directed by uh, Naomi's actor actress, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that she directed that is so cool. Yeah. And the description for this episode reads, uh, Michael has retaken control of Dean as his army of monsters continues to move in on our heroes. Sam devises a plan to try and reach Dean and stop Michael before anyone else has to die. I think, I feel like this episode is going to be a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> I I remember coming off the hiatus just not knowing what to expect and then having this episode be really fast-paced, really crunching you through a lot of things and kind of wringing you out emotionally along the way. We talked about this episode. This is one of those episodes that just invited a lot of speculation, right? Mm-hmm. We yep. are, you know, we're answering some of our questions from coming off of a month of speculation with the hiatus. And this episode itself, it was like, we had so much to talk about. And I hope that we can tap into even like a fraction of it. This, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here. We might do it a bit more coherently this time because the last time it was just, oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, I remember <laughs> as I was watching, as I was rewatching, there were scenes, there were moments. And I was like, oh, my God, we talked about this for 15 minutes and oh, yeah and then and then of course i was like but what were we what were we talking about yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sitting here i'm like i know there was a conversation I was like yeah. touching the ground i have no memory of this place <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly okay so um kicking off opening scene yeah opening scene kicking off this episode we have one of those moments where i i remember we we just talked about it we talked it to death the first time but we open with Rocky's Bar. Yes. Starting in on Rocky's Bar, we are focusing in on a bunch of different elements here that are, I would say, a little kitschy or eccentric. Like there is a squirrel hugging a beer bottle. There is some slot machines. There's a pool table. There's a lot of this eclectic decor. And there there's a storm going on outside and the door to the front of this bar opens and in comes Pamela Barnes. Pamela 
Barnes. Oh my God. Oh, and as we're going through these Rocky scenes, you totally need to be my eyes and call me out some of uh, our uh, Easter eggs in this in the setting because we talk about oh, how yeah. it's all like eclectic and and cluttered and and such. Um, and now you know I'm not going to give you my 20 seconds of feels on Dean and this being his comfort space and Dean never being able to carry. We're going to be it. like it's going to be like 20 minutes. Okay, let's no, be real. No. It's not going to be like 20 seconds. Dean <laughs> never being able to carry anything with him in his you know vagabond life and for him to uh, finally have a place that he can call his own and collect things around him and okay and, I'm and, done. and it's just like peacocking of these elements of like just what you would see as roadside attractions that uh-huh. when you were a kid and like these are the things that stand out when I'm going from one motel to another to another and like same road different <laughs> oh face God. every time and so like he's just picked out all of these like grotesqueries or like just elements that speak of something unique and having history to them yeah yeah <laughs> but, but we're but not Pamela. talking about that yet just <laughs> oh we're fucked okay no no we're yeah. fine we're, this this episode is going to be great guys yeah you don't need to buckle I, in we're we're not going to be emotionally ravaged by the end of it at <laughs> all <laughs> that doesn't sound like us no no Yeah, Pamela comes in from the storm outside and she's talking about the end of days that she battled at the grocery store trying to Uh buy the last bag of limes for the house special. And we don't know who she's talking to at first, but when she sets the bag down and the hand comes and grabs it off the bar, then we see that it's Dean. Yeah. Um, oh my god, Pamela. She's so gorgeous. I can't, I can't, like, function. She hasn't changed a bit. <sighs> Pamela, I yelled when I saw her. I was freaking out. I should have watched this episode, like, five times. Um, <laughs> because, because the first watch, I was just, like, spiraling from the beginning. It took me ten minutes just to catch up with myself. Because, oh, oh my I god, know. I can't believe all this is happening right here, right now. You got these psychic punches of seeing Pamela on screen and, like, what the bar means and all of this. And, like, you're reeling. You're trying to catch up. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, uh, Dean says, yeah, I'm not going to make the house special without limes. What do you, we're not heathens. And, and he makes said house special. He, which I'm like, just a, a tequila shot. <laughs> he slaps down and a, a beer shot. and a beer. Yeah, Dean. All right. All right. Simple man. <laughs> Simple joys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we were talking about little details, like the bar that we see here, there is this heart carved into the wood and it has Daphne loves Fred inside of it. And the beers that are on tap, there is the IPA, Cosmic Cowboy and Red Fox. And we see this one that has the FB Beer Company on it. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of love being spread into the props and the setting like whoever was in charge of the set design was like we're throwing everything yeah um which kind of makes sense because as we're going through this scene um we keep getting dropped these um these little (laughs) devastating but throwaway lines where it's revealing that uh dean is living out this story this dream This is the dream, he says more than once this episode. He is the proprietor and owner of this 
bar. Cass and Sam are out hunting. Um, he's in the life, but out of it. This place is his own, and and he is so proud of it. And uh, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, so let's go yeah. through the scene. Yes. So after they've done their house special shot, um, this businesswoman enters from the storm and she has a briefcase with her and she's just talking about trying to get Dean to sign some paperwork. And Dean is saying that he's not going to sell this place no matter how generous the offer is that she's bringing. And it's that one devastating line that you're mentioning there. Like, <laughs> I've never had anything this nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me. Yep. And, you know, thanks for stopping by, but not interested. Yeah. And, like, he's trying to be nice. Like, oh, you know, stay, have a beer. And she's just trying to cut to the chase. And he's luxuriating in the fact that he is going to say no. So he has all the time in the world to kind of just irritate her out the door. <laughs> and I noticed, okay, were you paying attention to Pam's outfit here? Like, She's got this back from hell t-shirt. She's got a little pair of wings on her, her necklace. Like they have her going with this, I guess, afterlife vibe for her character. These elements that are doing kind of call back to where she actually is in reality. Yeah, actually, it wasn't just the way that she was dressed. And I'm not recalling um, specifics, but... Some of the things that some of her dialogue, some of her word choices, I think also uh, called back to, you know, her reality versus the dream. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did notice both the shirt and the wings necklace. And like I said, some of the things that she said, it pinged to me as, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, there's a layer to this. Yeah, yeah. But of course, Dean is not picking up on that. No. And after this businesswoman storms out, we go to them in the back room and Dean is doing some paperwork and Pamela has come in with more shots. And she's saying that she has a hot date tonight. (laughs) And Dean goes, well, how come you always have a boyfriend? And Pamela retorts, how come you always want what you can't have? And (laughs) besides, you don't want me. You just like to flirt. And, but Dean, when that line, okay, okay, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. okay, 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 it's fine. I'm fine. Um, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. So when Pamela said that, how come you only want what you can't have? Um, you know, I'm easy. I'm so fucking easy. But I <laughs> just, I, I probably had to pause. I was so like, what? <laughs> did that just happen? Did she just, did he just, did that just, what? No, what? Hey, um, guys, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Um, and, and, and Dean, he's like, whoa, he, he says, whoa. Okay. But his face in this moment, he wasn't like offended. He wasn't taken aback. It was more like, uh, it was a, like a touche. It was, it was a little bit of a touche and also like, oh my God, did you just go there? But mm-hmm. Yeah, she just fucking went there. And then she follows it up with, besides, you don't want me. And I'm not going to get into the underlayers of, of, he doesn't actually want her. He just flirts for fun. Um, And so for her to say, why do you only want what you can't have? She's not talking about herself, really. Uh, on the surface, she's talking about herself. But, you know, underneath, I don't think she is at all. And I think that Dean knows that. But this is not my Destiel podcast, so (laughs) 
I don't have one, but... <laughs> well, you're talking about um, these lines and elements to Pamela that are speaking to the fact that this isn't the Pamela that we know. Mm-hmm. And to me, this little rapport that they have here, that was something that kind of pinged for me. Because when we were first introduced to Pamela in season four, episode one, Lazarus Rising, she was flirty to Dean and Sam. And I wouldn't say that she was with any intention of following through on it. No. But she was definitely like, oh, I'm going to be like flirting with you to see if I can make you uncomfortable. But in this Rocky's bar reality, what we have is sort of the opposite. Is She's saying like, oh, I'm doing my own thing. And if anyone's making just pointless advances, then it's you, Dean. You're the one who does this. And it's just because you know nothing's going to come from it. Yeah, exactly. He does it because he knows, because it's safe. Um, yeah. Because there, and- there's not going to be a follow-up that he has to, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that there's an element, too, of just allowing the audience to know that, like, Pamela isn't here as the romantic interest. Like, Dean isn't here with this fantasy of, you know, a wife and he's an entrepreneur. It's just genuinely he has a place that is his own and it is populated by friends. It's populated by people he's close to. And like Pamela and him have a lot of overlap in their personalities. And so for her to be the choice in this bar, I I really found that engaging. Absolutely. And that's a good point. Yes, I do appreciate that we're putting forward that, you know, this isn't, uh, this is not a romance, it's not romance, Okay, yeah. sorry. Pa- Pamela's not <laughs> the one that got away. Yeah, Pamela's not the one that got away. Um, and I remember when coming off of this episode, I was thinking, like, it was such a surprise and such a pleasant surprise to see Pam again. Um, yes. But then it, it was also the perfect choice and almost the only choice. I'm like, who would I have rather have seen walk through that door? Charlie? No. Kevin? No. Um, uh, Benny? Never mind. <laughs> okay no okay rather is too strong a term but i would have died if it was bitty okay (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah um but anyways i I think i we all know how i feel about dean and his friends and his relationships and uh, the people that he feels safe with and content with and blah 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 blah. the people that he can open up to and just be him truly 100 percent himself with yes um it it just kills me every single time we get scenes like this and we see Dean's contentment. And, you know, it's supposed to because he he says to Pam, you know, this is the dream. This is everything I've ever wanted. And uh, it's I'm 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 dying and dead and bye. Yeah. <laughs> take me I'm, take me away I, from here. I'm definitely going to touch base on this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But Yeah. Woof. Yeah, woof. It's so good. I can't believe that this is like the first scene. And we're not even done the first scene Uh because Dean, we cut from the back room. Now he is going into the walk-in cooler and he's grabbing another case of Texan Star. And when he steps out, Pamela is like a watchdog staring at the door. And so I'm like, did did she sense what was coming? But she she basically... 
Yes. So yeah, there a vamp comes in, and he said that he was from Sutler, and he has basically a bone to pick with Dean. Uh-huh. And there's been a drunk guy at the bar this whole time who finally rears up and attacks. And Dean jumps behind the bar. He tosses Pamela a shotgun. He grabs a machete, and then they kill both vampires in quick succession. Yeah. And they wrap it up by wiping up the blood. <laughs> Taking another shot. Um, or pouring a beer. Um, there, they they gleefully finish up this fight. They're riding the adrenaline high. They're just having a good old time. And and it, Pam says, you know, every other, it seems like every other week, uh, there's some big bad that uh, comes out to get you you know that's the she doesn't say this but it's like you know when you're stationary when you have a name for yourself then then you know you're gonna get that kind of trouble uh it it also it was very kind of old western you know like him bursting through the door it's very saloon like i got a bone to pick with you which is exactly dean's scene this whole this whole sequence is really just like it's just like the perfect fantasy right exactly Yeah, because he has a stationary place he's calling home. He has monsters dropping by on the regular that he can fight, but he's defending a territory rather than going out and seeking these things. And he wraps up this, like, what can I say? I'm famous. And just this little (laughs) kid grin. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never seen Dean smile like this before. Like, it's been so long. Uh Uh-huh. We get that little grin. And then we get the title card because, you know, that was only the opening fucking scene. Yes. And this is my life now. You are basically, you get your legs kicked out of you at the very start of the episode. And then you're just trying to stand up because everything's moving so quick. Because right after this title card... Talking about moving quick. Yeah. <laughs> we have a return to Kansas City. And we now see Dean as Michael. And Michael's all gussied up. And I'm- doing... <laughs> oh, doing his little villain monologue a little bit longer. Uh, we open back to Michael. And he's got his whole get up on he doesn't have the cap but he's got the three-piece suit and the pocket watch and the tie and yeah and the the tie pins that he has to his collar oh my god and 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 i'm like did he mojo himself into a fancy outfit like his fucking version of the thanos snap is like dress Yeah, yeah. So, so with the Thanos snap, I can only assume he like popped himself into his his preferred dress. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. He's like, fuck, I'm wearing plaid. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> and yeah, he's monologuing at this point. He's going like, hope is an amazing thing. You had no chance, none, but you had hope, and like that is the reason why they came to fight him. And he's just constantly being smarmy and. Yeah. He, he's using his powers to crush them downwards, but Cass manages to get up and distract Michael long enough for Sam to throw this angel Molotov onto Michael. And he, he goes up in flames for a little bit, just long enough for Cass to throw on the angel cuffs. Yeah, I'm like, Cass, be careful. You're not supposed to touch the fire. Cass. That's- <laughs> he's reckless at this point. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, uh, Michael was just so smug. He's like, you brought me my my favorite vessel. You brought me the one weapon that could possibly hurt me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you're here to witness my 
whatever his his quote-unquote ascent yeah Yeah, uh uh-huh there it is yeah and like he could crush them he could absolutely kill them but instead he just chooses to force field them downwards and then speak at them (laughs) for ages like he wants an audience oh absolutely um and he gets it but he lets them get the better of him and now he is caught in these angel cuffs the cuffs that we mentioned bobby had been working on and trying to improve to hold an archangel so the second that Cass gets those cuffs on uh michael both Cass and sam kind of warily back up a little bit like yeah they're like is it gonna work is it gonna work yeah (laughs) yeah we either are going to earn half a second of life or we have a lot more so like let's just see how this next half second goes yeah yeah exactly exactly they've got their you know dental floss and bubble gum and it paid off this time (laughs) they're they're mcgruber 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 is it what from snl Oh, I don't watch SNL. It's fine. It's at least like <laughs> 10 years old. Okay. <laughs> I was like, B, do you have like a Canadian MacGyver? I don't know. About? It, it could this- be. <laughs> I'm not sure if Will Forte is Canadian or not. But. Is that is that what's happening here? <laughs> um, Yeah. So what next? <laughs> yes. The cuffs are on Michael and they try breaking through to Dean speaking to him, but Michael is just sassing back and sirens begin sounding outside downstairs. And around this time, um, Sam gets a phone call from Maggie, who is trying to track down what's going on in the city, but there's just so many monsters. Yeah, yeah, it's chaos out there. Um But no kills. No kills. Yeah, just bites and scratches. And it's almost like, and Maggie trails away, but we know, and and Sam knows on the phone, um, they're not trying to destroy the city. They're trying to infect the city. Exactly. Uh, And Maggie says, okay, we're coming to you. And Sam says, no, be my boots on the ground. Um, Just do your best to contain and control. Yeah. Work on saving people. Don't worry about us. Right. He says, we're here. We have Michael. We'll figure it out. And and he hangs up and <laughs> Cass is like, okay, what's the plan? <laughs> it's like, uh. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, they so- get this really rough shot idea. They're like, okay, we'll just get Michael downstairs. We'll get him into the trunk of the Impala and we'll get back to the bunker. <laughs> Jack, yeah. Garth's in the trunk. Sam, it, it's a big trunk. There's so many great like facial expressions this episode. It's yeah, like them thinking on their feet and then having these hilarious little beats that come with it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big trunk. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, except <laughs> Michael, being the smug asshole he is, uh, they they hear these you know disturbances outside the room and they all kind of look as one to Michael and Michael says. Oh, the cavalry has arrived. He has called his his monsters to help free him from this predicament. So it's not going to be as simple as just herding Michael downstairs and throwing him in the trunk anymore. Exactly. It's a party now. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Every line from Michael, and I don't have most of them written down, but <laughs> every line from Michael is so fucking smarmy. It's just- 
Yeah, it's dripping in like sarcasm uh-huh. or just like this the shout and Freud glee at what they are going through because all he has to do is buy it enough time to get out of these cuffs. Like he's like, Oh well, I guess this is what I'm doing for the next fifteen minutes. Exactly. Exactly. So Cass uses his powers to hold the door shut, but it's not going to last for long. And so Sam comes up with another plan on his feet. He starts calling for the Reaper Jessica, knowing that there was a specific Reaper assigned to him and his brother. Yeah. He's like, Jessica. And I'm like, who? <laughs> who? Who that? <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> Cass says, who dat? And, and then we explain, okay, so Billy... Death said that we have a reaper assigned to us, monitoring us at all times. And uh, we have Sam calling for Jessica and someone shows up, but it's not Jessica. It's Violet, the reaper Violet. Yes. And oh my God, she's fantastic. I love her. She shows up and she's just like, it's my shift. We have shifts now (laughs) because you mess up so, so many things. (laughs) I know. I love her so much. It's great. And, and she, she has shown herself, shown herself only to Sam or has tried to show herself only to Sam because Jack and Cass cannot see or hear her. Michael can though. And she seems a little, Violet seems a little intimidated by michael um but she powers through she's talking to sam and only sam uh (laughs) sam says we need to get out of here uh and violet says and i offer my full emotional support in your endeavors oh she's so good and he says i don't need your emotional support i need your actual support get us out of here and she yeah we need physical help (laughs) getting out of here she kind of just puts her hands up. She's like, sorry. And he's trying to wear her down. He's like, don't feed me that bull crap. Keeping your hands clean. Like, we will die. And Michael will get loose if you do not help us right now. And she's just like, I, I cannot. She, she kind of segues from I won't to I can't. Except she seems to get a little phone call. Yes. But before we get to the phone call, I thought it was really interesting that Michael spoke to her and said, like, in my world, we locked death away and enslaved the Reapers. Like, just more insight into the fuckery that was the apocalypse world. Well, we know that even Lucifer did the same thing uh, on in our apocalypse, right? He bound death and he, you know, had some semblance of control over the Reapers. Um, Or actually, maybe the Reaper control is is something of my own... um, imagination but lucifer bound (laughs) did bind death uh so maybe something similar happened um to michael and you know what um i don't want to get too much into it now but Mm -hmm. you bringing this up you saying uh, michael said in my world we bound death and enslaved the reapers um i want to i'm going to revisit that we later so All right. I have thoughts. Okay. But yes, like you said, Violet basically gets a phone call and she's like, I'm listening. (laughs) And then she changes her mind. All of these pleas that Sam has been doing, like, you owe us for the Rowena thing. And she's like, oh yeah, the Rowena thing that you started. Mm -hmm." But she drops them off at the bunker. Well, well, um, Sam says, how did you do that? Or I think it was Jack said, how did you do that? Um, And Violet answers, I didn't. And then she disappears. She spoofs away. Yes. But yeah, yeah. We're back at the bunker. Um, We cut to black, but we come right back to Michael now 
chained to a column um, in the war in room. In the war room. Yeah. And my notes, they just have dumb exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Well, I don't know because we're- if it's a supporting structure. Yeah, but with his powers bound, you're right. But with his powers bound, you know, we can assume he doesn't have a super strength and he can't just, you know, fight them off or tear down the column. Um, But this is the conversation that our heroes are having, right? Um, We have Sam, uh, Cass, and Jack, and they're discussing, what are we going to do with him? Is this... Is this the smart move here? Yeah, we have a dungeon. We have a perfectly good dungeon. How come he's not there? Yeah, Jack says, should we put him in the dungeon? And Sam says, these cuffs are all that we have. If he can break the cuffs, the dungeon's not going to hold him. Yeah, yeah, like we're boned regardless what setting (laughs) we want to have the boning take place in. Exactly. And we're trying, trying. We need a plan. What are we going to do? Yeah. And so Sam's calling back to his own experience where he's saying that, you know, when Gadriel had possessed him, then it took Crowley's help in order to get him out. Is there something similar that they could do to try and get to Dean and get him out? And they say, well, Crowley's dead. Um, but, you know, any demon would do. They don't say this, but I'm thinking, well, well, it doesn't have to be Crowley. Any demon can do. And, and, uh, possession or uh, regardless that is bringing us to okay we have to get into dean's mind one way or another yes but we can't go too far along the line because maggie has called again and um so sam's talking to her and just essentially telling her to you know if you can go hop over to hitomi <laughs> plaza um the apollo's parked in the basement and garth is in the trunk love you bye <laughs> like yeah 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 maggie calls and she says okay we're on our way to the plaza and sam says we're actually back in lebanon and she says what but yeah how the <laughs> fuck does that work yeah yeah and also i'm like are we just leaving the apollo there we, we gotta get someone to drive I was like, back. who's got the keys like, oh my god Dean would have the keys. Where are the keys? He doesn't have his clothes anymore. Oh my god. And the Impala was never seen again. And the Impala was never seen again. And Garth (laughs) suffocates in the trunk. Oh no. Well, so. Rip. uh, He, Sam asks, how's it looking over there? And um, Maggie says, the attacks have stopped and it seems like the monsters are leaving the city. Yeah, funny thing that you should mention it. Mm. They are all heading west. And Michael's like, hmm, remind me, what direction is the bunker compared to Kansas City? And they're like, oh, fuck, this player's behind it. Uh-huh. Michael has called his monsters to, you know, again, break him out of the situation. And he says right out, uh, nothing has changed I will still break out of these cuffs one way or another. My monsters will liberate me or I'll break these chains myself. But one way or another, everyone tonight is going to die. And tonight, everybody dies. Yes. And Sam, this smiling face is the last thing you're ever going to see. You know, calling, evoking, you know, emotion behind my brother's face is not my brother. Yeah. This pretty little smile as I rip you apart. Oh my god. 
So he has done his little y'all are gonna die moment thing. And so the next scene is the library and Sam is rolling out the British Men of Letters mind link device. And um, he's thinking that they can use it to wake up Dean and force Michael out. And Cass just says that if he can. I'm like, <gasps> uh, yeah, but like, Cass, don't be a downer. Come on. He's scared because of what Michael has said. Like, he has given two monologues, like two separate episodes. We have seen him being like, I have crushed Dean into dust. Like, I have drowned this fucker. I have buried him so deep yeah. he is not coming back. And so they are operating on the hope, like the hope that Michael mocked them for. But there is still this hope without having evidence that it's going to lead to anything. And I just, I felt that moment of, like, fear and doubt that came from that if he can like, if we go through all of this and Dean isn't too broken to put up the fight. If we even can get into Dean's mind, what are we going to find there? That's something that we actually revisit a little bit later as well. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it, there is a lot of fear there for sure. Yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but like Sam says, this is all we got. And, and uncertainty, we jump back into Dean's mind, what they would find there were, were, uh, with Dean back in Rockies and we're living a loop. We see now that this is a loop. He's not just, um, living out. It's not a gin dream. It's a, it's an enclosed loop. Like you're saying that there is this set of events that there's slight variations there upon, but it's the same routine that he's playing through. And and can I take a second to just consider why this sequence of events, right, to be a loop um, in this one little like one hour sequence of events? Do we hit on? Everything that Dean would need to be content and to stay content and to stay under the spell of of contentment um, and, and to not fight back because he never becomes aware enough to fight back because he never has a reason to want to. Um, but in just this one sequence, we have Cass and Sam out, you know, hunting but safe and they're on the way back we have uh, dean with friends pamela and just enjoying not distracted by customers uh dean just tending the bar well and like the businesswoman comes in and dean gets to flex his autonomy he gets to assert that this is what he wants and so i like you're mentioning okay is does this loop have everything you want it makes me think about heaven and what heaven is like heaven is these contained moments and I would assume that they would loop as well but the difference I would say is that Dean's little self-contained moment here it has anticipation in it like 
it's raining outside, and so, okay, we have to stay inside for now. But the storm will let up eventually. And Sam and Cass aren't here right now, but they're on their way home, and they'll get here eventually. Like, there is this thread of Dean's little vision with Rocky's bar that has him being satisfied with waiting in the moment, because there's these things that are always just coming on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, rounding out the fantasy, we have Dean getting his own fix and satisfaction in killing the monster. Yes. He still has his hunt going on. It's just come to him. Mm-hmm. It's delivery. <laughs> Not to Jorna. Um, <laughs> oh, no, wait. That, that would be the other way around. Anyways. Um, but yeah, about his third time that we have seen this cut between events, this third loop, um, Dean has a moment where he's experiencing some deja vu. And so it makes me wonder that even if um, Cass and Sam hadn't come up with this plan, um, how long would it be for Dean to realize that something strange is going on here and for him to try and make his own move? Yeah, he he has this little deja vu moment and he shakes it off. Um, but I I looked at that in two ways. Either um, Michael only had has had a few minutes to do this like construction and put Dean in this place before he was bound. So is it is it looping because Michael's not there to build mm-hmm. more, um, or is this just uh something that Michael put him in and had been planning on putting Dean in but it's you know it's, it's shaky only, it, or something it, it's shaky but I think that you know given time Michael would have all the time in the world to make sure that Dean doesn't get suspicious but you know in this moment uh Michael is otherwise occupied yeah, that, that's a really good point. Because I do think that, like, Michael would have pre-planned what this scenario was going to look like. But like you say, he was anticipating having more ability to, you know, glance over his shoulder and see how things are going back there and then make repairs as necessary. Yeah. But he can't do that right now because of the angel cuffs. Mm-hmm. And Michael, back at the bunker, Michael and Jack um are having a little talk uh, you know sam and cass are uh wor- working out this mind machine thing and michael says oh so they left me with you it's almost yeah, insulting he's, exactly he's insulted that someone of such a quote-unquote low power grade is watching him and michael says like you're nothing and jack turns that around that's not what you said before and it comes back to that question that you asked at the end of last episode like what was michael's motivations when he tried to extend the olive branch out to jack and michael's giving his answer here but even that i don't think is sincere no he says um he answers actually more in line to what I was asking, you know, is Michael just lonely? Does he actually genuinely want uh, to go through his eternity with Jack um, so that he's not alone in it? And and Michael says here uh, that to ask Jack to be with him, it was a moment of familial weakness 
and mm-hmm. and it's not a mistake that he would be making again. And I thought it was really interesting to have Dean's face being the one saying this to Jack. Like, oh, yeah. the layers that come with having Dean being the one that Jack sees as saying, like, it was just a moment of weakness because I thought of you as family, and that's not happening again. Oh, yeah. And, and, and but, 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 um, so him saying that, that's like, what I was kind of leaning towards, like, did Michael really want Jack to go with him? But you, counter to that, were saying, uh, Michael is just taking the opportunity to throw that out there, and he's not really invested on what Jack says either way. Yeah. Um, and I still maintain that opinion even after hearing what Michael said here, because... What we see of Michael in this episode is he is trying to find the raw nerves within each of the characters and then just push on them. And so I think that Dean, as being the vessel that Jack is perceiving saying these things, it's going back to the rough ground that they started on. Like, Dean and Jack did not start on great terms. And... Michael continues hammering that idea home here, like saying Sam is in over his head and Dean is under control. And like, I know how sad he was when you died on the outside, but he's just not Sam or Cass. Jack is a new burden. And so I think that even his answer to Jack's question of, you know, that's not what you said before, is just, it's feeding down this line because it is the weakness he perceives in Jack's relationship with Dean. Oh, yeah. His, like you said, it wasn't a sincere response. I actually agree that it was a response chosen carefully and chosen deliberately to drive in this point here which is to say that dean doesn't actually care about you dean wasn't happy when you died but he just didn't care yeah he was just indifferent to your place in his life oh 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 and like you said let's take this here now he says to jack you're not sam you're not castiel he doesn't actually care about you you're just a job an unwanted responsibility now let's take this where he says to jack because he knows it's going to hurt jack dean doesn't care about you he you know who he cares about he cares about his family and you are separate from his family um yeah yeah. let's like let's take that little moment here and like put a pin in it and revisit it with michael's conversation with sam and Cass later because you start seeing all the bullshit that he's weaving yes Yes, exactly. It's all bullshit and it does not it does not hold up under scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. But like Jack is just getting this full wave and he's the first one really taking the hit individually. And Cass comes in, calls Jack away, but it's like a bit of the damage has already been done. It doesn't yeah. matter that Cass is telling him, like, don't believe anything Michael says. He's lying. And Michael in the background, no, I'm not. And I can <laughs> still hear you. I know. I was like, oh my God, so many eye rolls. Just the smarmy Hannibal Lecter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Good pull there. Yeah. Um. So we cut from here. Jack exiting 
and and Cass coming in, and I'm already like chin hands, like what is Michael gonna say to Cass? What I are we know. gonna see? How is he gonna use Dean's feelings against him? But we cut to um a the side of a road and a road sign that says "Welcome to Lebanon," and we see that Maggie and the hunters have blockaded this this uh highway just outside of Lebanon, and uh, Maggie's on the phone with one one of the other cars of this you know caravan <laughs> of of hunters and uh, the man that he, he maggie's talking to says they got ahead of us um they're coming your way big black van yeah they're they're coming up the hill right now and <laughs> so maggie's like well it's time to bring out the hero speech uh-huh she's like she's like oh guys <laughs> i i know i didn't rehearse for this one but i'm gonna give it my best shot yeah yeah. And she's so earnest, yeah. She really she's is. She's just giving the speech about how Sam and Dean have given them all a second chance and like this is a way that they can repay them by making sure that the monsters don't get to the bunker. And also, I mean, this is the bunker. This is the hunter hub, right? They they're protecting their own territory. They Yeah, are this is their square zero too. Exactly. So, um they're all set up with their guns and we see the black van come up but it stops and we cut on this, you know, Mexican standoff here. Yeah, so there's next to no time and we cut back to Michael and Cass. And Michael is trying at first to poke at the way that Castiel has been a quote-unquote nursemaid to a Nephilim. And I... we said earlier, okay, he's looking for weak points. And he tried this one first, and it goes nowhere. Like, Cass is unshakable there. Yeah. And so then Michael is pointing out that this Castiel's anemic compared to the one from his world. Yeah. And that's another bu- button that he's trying to push, uh, to... Uh... <laughs> because I'm not going to get into the other world cast too much. Um, but we do 20 know, seconds. <laughs> we do know that the alt cast was a honed weapon, right? Cast blinded in one eye. Yes. Was it, re- it speaks to the physical tools they were using to make him how he was that these lobotomies, these, yeah. Yeah. And so Michael would know that the Castiel of his world w- was, he was created to be this weapon. He was not inherently a follower of, of Michael's, you know, war. And um, I don't know, to have Michael poking in on that, like, almost like, look at what you became. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael would know that that is not... Oh, man. Well, (laughs) what I'm hearing from you is that he was trying to say, like, who you are now is still malleable. Like, you might feel faith in who you are now, but you could have very easily gone a different path. And there's no saying that I couldn't make you go that path. Just this sense of... He senses the certainty that Cass has, his faith in the family he's chosen on Earth. And he's trying to pick at it, and it still isn't quite working. No, because um, he can't pick at that faith um, because... Because Cass has grown so much this season. (laughs) Just claws my face off. And, And, you know, 
as rebellious as we can assume the alt cast was against this apocalypse um initially before he was forced into this like other thing um but that castiel did not have his family did not have the winchesters did not find the thing that he could have that unshakable faith in and that's what michael says next isn't it he says what is it about this world that makes you love it so much yeah Cass had retaliated to these pokes by saying that he thinks that Michael's confusing loyalty and compassion with weakness. But Michael is combating everything that Cass is trying to bring to him. You know, like, why do you hate this world so much you want to destroy it? And Michael... Ooh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This, I was like, finally, we get this laser-sharp hone in on Michael's motivations. And it's so good. It is stellar and the way that it plants questions that come up throughout the rest of this season it's so good we oh my god okay so in this Cass and michael talk we don't have michael um using you know dean's feelings against Cass. not yet here uh, we we are opening the book on michael's motivations because cassiel asks why do you want to destroy this world? Um, and Michael says, because I can. But then instantly his face betrays his words. Yes. This flippancy isn't sincere. And he actually, it's like he craves the opportunity to actually spell this out. And he didn't do it to Jack. But here he has another angel who is sitting there asking him these questions of why. And it's like Michael has decided that this is an audience that he can at least impart this to. And, you know, as much as Michael says, um, I am the biggest thing there is and even angels are so far below me they're not worth my notice um i i don't know uh michael really puts down monsters and humans um you know these are insects these are atoms to something as me and he that's what he says to jack and he's trying to explain to jack you don't know what time is but you will i think that honestly with Cass, it's almost like finally here's someone who could understand because he says in my world me and my brother me and lucifer what we did we were not hindered in starting and finishing this fight this apocalypse And when we did, we expected, we thought that God would come back. We thought that when we would destroy this earth that God claimed to love, that God would come back and he would explain himself. He would tell us why he left. He would answer our questions. But you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. And, And you can see in him that this is like, this is... This is personal. Like, yeah, it's very personal. Exactly. He has spent a lot of time trying to act like he is above other figures, that he is superior. And yet here he has a moment to speak with one of his siblings and explain that like what, like, in essence, it boils down to he wanted his dad to come home so he could talk to him. 
And when that didn't happen, he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to throw a fucking tantrum. But he didn't decide to throw the tantrum until he was in Dean. And he got to have insight into just what exactly God's motivations were for keeping away. Yeah. And God's motivations were that he doesn't care. I thought it was so interesting that, uh, you know, in his world, in Michael's world, he ended that world and nothing happened. What he expected to happen, God's return did not happen. And it, and then he went to this world, this different world, and he was going to basically try again. Um, but then in Dean, in possessing Dean... He got some of those answers and that Dean actually knows more about God, Chuck, than this Michael did. Um, God actually has revealed himself to us in this world. And we know we have some insight in his motivations and who he is. And as Michael says, God is a writer. And I understand now that my world, this world this, that, or the other, they're all just drafts. And the second that it starts to go not as planned, those drafts are discarded. God moves on because God doesn't care. Yeah. He said that because God is a writer, and like all writers, he turns out draft after draft, and the worlds are nothing but failed drafts. And as soon as he realizes they're flawed, he moves on and tries again. And I thought it was really telling that at first Cass tries to deny this, but he cuts off like he can't. And instead he asks why God would do that. Yeah, Cass, want, Cass um, he wants to defend. Reflexively wants to deny it. Yeah, but then you can see him, you know, thinking about it and he has no argument against that he uh, god is inscrutable but uh, this is kind of a seed of well well Shit, this what sounds else? like truth like- yeah god did abandon this world there's nothing you can say to michael that doesn't make that any less true And I, again, I thought that it was really insightful that Michael here gets a sincere emotional reaction to Cass's question about why God would do that. Like Michael gets to this aggressive place where he says, because God doesn't care. He doesn't care about you, me, or anything. And like, I initially thought that I would try to one-up him. But now Michael just wants to burn through the world until he catches up to the old man and kills him himself. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder when he made that decision. Because he says, at first, I I wanted to do better than he did. Be more God than God. Become the God of this world. Um, But now I just want to burn it down. And and I wonder when was exactly when was that moment? Did he come to this world to, you know, be more God than God? But then when he possessed Dean and he learned about uh, Chuck, is that when he decided that he was going to destroy worlds until he could find Chuck? Um, I don't know. I was just I I was thinking mostly about episode one, Michael uh, yeah. going going to killers and holy men and demons and asking them the question, "What do you want?" Um, I, I was that him trying to figure out how he was going to make this world a better world, or I don't know. 
To me, yes, it, he was still on the thought of being a better god than God at that point. I feel like it was at some point when he had stepped out of Dean and was possessing these other vessels that Michael kind of soured to this initial, like, and it could have been that, hey, this is taking a lot more work than I actually want to put in. Like, the amount of effort that is required to be better than God, like, what am I doing if that is my way of trying to one-up the old man? Like, Am I just going to do that in perpetuity until he shows up? Know what? Fuck that. No. I'm going to just crumple this draft up and I'm going to keep on ripping drafts out of the book until I find him. Like, I think it was something along that lines that he just, I don't know, he seems to be more attuned to destruction than creating and maintenance thereupon. And so I think that he just lost interest in the thought of being God. And, and I think that it, the more time passed, the more it was, you know, the more he saw the flaws of the world. That was his thing in episode one, right? He was going to these people and he was asking them, what do you want? And all he saw was lies. And talking about failed drafts, I mean, it's just kind of like, yeah, he, he, he does just want to crumple up that page and move on um and as time passes he gets more and more angry at god and and at all these unanswered questions and he just wants to catch up to god and demand those answers and Cass says what would you do then and michael finishes out to say even god can die yeah, I think, like, Michael has a real confirmation bias in whatever he is working towards. Like, he just has this axe to grind against God. And so his interpretation of everything that he's coming across on this world, he's going to bend towards that flavor. And to have this, quote-unquote, captive audience in Cass, where he can finally speak to someone who would understand, you know, having faith in this father that will return someday after Aeon's, and never seeing it fulfilled. Then he goes, you know what? Like, I'm actually going to do something about this. I'm going to make that fucker bleed. Yes, I loved it. This (laughs) makes him a very compelling character because he was sort of obfuscated up to this point. Like, what is his motivations? We had a lot of question marks that came up. And so to have this opportunity to have him sit down with Cass and be like, here is some actual raw emotion and not just the bullshit that I'm spinning you. That That was really good. That exactly was my biggest beef with this character. I don't know if I've talked about it over much in this podcast i know i've mentioned it before michael what do you want um but on first watch i i I was really big on that michael what do you want like like i said it was my biggest beef with the character i I was just like all these questions um and And now we have a high side with this moment yeah yeah this moment was everything i could have wanted it was it was the best kind of payoff it left me super satisfied and yeah it was it was a really good scene yeah i like any time that a show gives you something that allows you upon rewatching it to get a deeper level from it and so i think even if i rewatch season 13 there would be this new compelling background for him too that you know at that point he was still thinking of ways of how to like just basically find his dad 
And yeah. it's during this season that he goes, you know what? Fuck the old man. I'm bringing a shiv and we're dealing with this old school. And very briefly, um, this is the we I was talking about. So Michael here, he says, me and my brother, me and my Lucifer, we thought that this would bring God back. So it's it was almost like, I don't know, it, it just makes me think of family and it makes me think of... Um, yeah, that they allowed themselves to be pitted against each other yeah. with this thought of, you know, if we fight long and hard enough, maybe daddy will return. Right, exactly. Um, just how much of this fight was honest resentments or how much of this fight was playing out a role. And yeah, and how uh, how did his Lucifer's death come about? Was it something that was done in cold blood? Was it something that was unintentional but happened? Like, yeah. It, it raises that gray area, too. Like, and how did Michael feel about it? Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so when Michael said, you know, we locked away death and and enslaved the reapers i don't know i, I it, it made me think of the michael and lucifer we that he's using yeah here. yeah i would say that that was more what it evoked to like i don't think of the we from his conversation with violet as being himself and his squadron of angels it seems to me that Michael is always someone who's trying to speak to those upper power grades. And so if he's saying we, then he is referring to Lucifer or someone on par with him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what, you know, it's that same sort of thing speaking to those upper grade beings that I think is in his mind, what made it okay to reveal so much of himself to, to cast and to want to, to almost like, be happy to open up and yeah it's i'm like glad you asked craving for this um for this moment of i can say this to you and you would understand yeah i'm i'm gonna save us the airtime of like how <laughs> we bring that back to his relationship with jack but there is this degree of I like I'm almost stepping back on my initial thought like he does have some loneliness to him but he's very selective in who he's going to allow to be in his audience and he's so warped at this point that if he views you as lesser then he just views you as a tool that he can bend yeah I feel like that's enough Michael feels I think we have hammered that <laughs> one to death <laughs> Oh, no, that, again, that doesn't sound like us at all. No, 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 no. no. I mean, we never, ever said we were only going to limit ourselves to 20 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, from here, we go back to Maggie and the Hunters, and there is this black van approaching, or it's parked. I forget which one precisely happened in the scene. I think in the previous scene, we saw it approaching, and they had readied themselves. Okay. But nothing had emerged from the van yet. So now we're back. Right where we were before, they're all lined up to fire on this van, except nothing is happening. Yeah. They approach on the van, but there's no movement. And indeed, when they throw the doors open, it's empty. And so they've circled around it. And we have our one fucking chuckly hero. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to go run off into the bush to see if they went in there. And it's like, you, oh, buddy gosh. system. Sam said buddy system. He's like, no, oh, I know better. And Ma- so he's Maggie calls and- out, don't go in the woods alone. No, yeah, he's already but, gone. Yeah, no. bye. Bye. But then he pops out and he goes, nope, they went off on foot to the bunker. Like, we better hurry back there. Mm-hmm. They got around us. And she's basically like, fuck. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah. 
And in the bunker, Sam has set out the mind link device and Jack is asking if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, well, you know, he might be able to help if he uses some of his magic. And Sam's like, Dean wouldn't want to be saved that way. Like, not that way. Right, because Sam says, if you use your powers, your magic, then you would be burning your soul to do it. And that's not what Dean would want. Yeah. But Jack is still isn't super convinced that this machine is going to work. And he's trying to say, like, what happens? You have no idea what will happen when you get into Dean's mind. Right. We're revisiting that... um Assuming the worst right here, uh, Sam says the last time that that Michael had Dean trapped, Dean said it felt like he was drowning. This time it could be much, much worse. Yeah. And they just they can't abide like Sam cares too much and he can't allow himself to have the room of second guessing or doubting. Yeah. So they have the machine set up, and they are hooking up the little uh, electrodes to Michael's head, and they are saying that if Sam goes in, Cass should be able to hitch a ride. And Michael, oh, Cass, I believe in you. I'm like, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sam is uh, connecting the electrodes, and Michael gives a little sarcastic shiver, like, ooh. Cool science spirit. I'm Uh like, I'm gonna fucking fight you. Oh my god, yes. And in the uh, parking lot behind the school by where all the smokers are, meet me there. I'm throwing fists. Well, also, we just saw some some vulnerability from Michael and yeah. now we're right back on the bullshit. So Yep, conceal don't feel. <laughs> uh and and Sam hooks himself up and uh oh no no no, it's Cass that's been hooking up all these all these wires but they're in position and Cass has Sam by the shoulder so that he can as you said hitch a ride uh and yeah, Jack they've asked Jack to stand guard while they're in uh-huh. there and Michael is trying to say well in there you're all mine and just this last little antagonistic nip before they flip the switch on and they enter into Gene's mind well yeah he says um I'm all for it. You know, out here, you have me bound by these, these cuffs. But in there, that's my playground. Yeah. And again, this is a Hannibal Lecter type shit. Or like, who... It's totally psychological. It's like Rorschach. It's Rorschach in The Watchmen, where he's like, I'm not in here with you. You're in here with me. Like, he's trying to pull, like you're saying, a psychological move on them. Yeah. And so they flip the switch and they enter into Dean's mind. And when yeah. they arrive in there, it's just a black room with Sam and Cass. Now, this scene is another hit you in the feels scene. Fuck yeah. Brace yourself. Holy because hell. Whoever was responsible for layering the yeah, audio. Whoever, whoever had to, whatever team had to go back and do these trauma moment, happy moment like just imagine that writer's team okay they're sitting in the room they're like when were they the most miserable and like oh i can think of so many it this uh yeah so this little i don't know what to call it it's not a montage just like these clips of medley yeah uh, yeah this medley of trauma uh well we're getting a little ahead of ourselves okay so uh, we're we're in this blank dark 
space and it's basically sam and uh Cass walking through the darkness it, it's almost that same thing just total emptiness um and and sam says where are we and, and Cass says in dean's mind and sam says well where is dean and <laughs> Cass answers that's a good question and he with his little glowy hand uh starts scanning dean's memories and he's looking for something specific and from the, from the go we are hearing these horrible moments yeah these real low points that dean has been through right and that we as the audience can recognize yes dean in hell dean uh when sam died um the vision that he had of his demon self before he was taken to hell right all of these dean moments um are all of these low point moments um yeah and and Cass is just like oh such trauma many scars <laughs> <laughs> but he's um yeah and and sam can hear you know these memories that Cass is scanning through and he says what is this and um Cass says if i knew what I was looking for that I could just take us there. So I am searching Dean's trauma to find where Michael buried him again, working under this assumption that as Michael said, if they wade through Dean's most terrible moments, then Michael, his current prison he's farmed for my, for Dean is somewhere within them. Right. Dean uh, Michael has said that 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 uh he has crushed Dean so thoroughly he would never fight he would he would never Michael's be able to fight his way liar. out. Well no he has though. I mean well Michael well, well. hasn't crushed him. Michael has put him in a place <laughs> that he won't want to leave. It's very different. He spoke with the intention of Sam and Cass and Jack having no hope of rescuing Dean in any fashion. And yet they're still like two middle fingers way up. We're gonna do what we want. And now before we go to Sam reaching that conclusion that maybe trauma is not what we're looking for. Um, let, let's go back to, uh, Cass saying there's so much trauma, so many scars. And Sam says, well, yeah, this is, you know, but Dean's strong. Yeah. Yeah. Dean can take it. And (laughs) Cass says, Dean is more than strong. And no, what does Cass say exactly? No, that's what he says. Oh, my he God. He says, Dean's more than strong. But if I knew where what I'm looking for, I could go there. And and Sam says, you're right. Dean would endure. Yeah, Sam. Sam's saying that it's probably not trauma because last time he fought, Dean thrives on trauma. He It keeps him alert. And so if Michael wants him to be lulled or no longer fighting, then stick him somewhere where he's content and he'll relax. So let's look through the good. Right, right, right. He Sam says, if Michael would want Dean to stop fighting, he would give him something that he had never had before. And Cass says, contentment. And uh, <laughs> I know! Hi, that was my kidney you just hit. Yeah, low fucking blow, man. Yeah. But just that <laughs> meme, like, is this contentment? <laughs> uh, but 
Cass says, you're right. Uh, and he starts scanning those happy memories that we get some snippets from. Um, everything from perky nipples to... Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> stripper Sam. <laughs> uh, I couldn't pick out any of the happy dialogue because I was like, mm, 404, footage not found in my head. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I actually should have just rewound more, but um, I didn't catch some of the things that were being said in Dean's happy memories, um, but it did seem like the dialogue was a bit more distinct. So I rewound, and then I had the thought, oh, I'm going to turn the subtitles on. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I should have done the first time. And so through the happy memories, the subtitles on Netflix actually did tell me everything that was, you know, all the memories that we were going through on the contentment, um, the happy memories scan. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back to the trauma just because, like, I don't know, 60% of it was Sammy, and then the other 40% of it was him screaming in pain. Yeah, so yeah. It was just name that time and place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but we had some more, like, dialogue bits uh, in The Contentment, but it was just basically um, Dean uncomplicatedly happy, which has not been... Again, I'm like 404. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and Sam starts to hear uh, some... The, the things that we heard at the start of this episode. Exactly. That Rocky's not for sale. Never had anything this nice. This and bar, yeah. Sam just turns an ear towards that. He's like, that never happened. Let's go there. Yeah, this is new. This is something unfamiliar. This is where we need to go. And Cass brings them right into Rocky's. Yes. And Dean is just so happy to see them and just like, hey, kill a ghoul, get a beer. He's yeah. just. <laughs> yeah. Oh. He, yeah. And so now Sam and Cass are, are in the bar and this is a break in that loop. This is a break in the routine. But but Dean, Dean doesn't, doesn't recognize. Yeah. It. Dean doesn't recognize it as a break in the routine. He says, hey, finally, you guys are back. Uh, how's the hunt? Grab a beer, pull up a stool. And my heart. But. Oh, my God. This, uh, Pamela is also behind the bar. And she says, hey, guys, I'm starting to get worried. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're safe. And I'm just, like, dying. I'm dying. But Ugh. um, obviously, Cass and Sam are very taken aback here. They're, they have a little aside. Cass says, didn't I blind her when she saw my true form? And then Sam answers, yeah. And then she died. Yeah. Like- she was killed by demons during the apocalypse. And... Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Dean's pouring them an IPA from Austin that you'll love it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Again, we have our little uh, family, family business. business beer company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Easter Plug. eggs being planted here. I know it's so good. Um, you know, I like to think that maybe they sat Jensen down and they asked him, "Okay, we want to build your perfect like." After. What would Dean want here? Like, yeah, we want your. I I don't think that they could build Dean's after without asking Jensen and getting Jensen's input on that. I I, I see here in this Rocky's bar, um, what they didn't do correctly with um, Lisa, Lisa. Uh, yeah, like season three, season four, Lisa, um, season or- five, season six. 
Right. You're right. You're right. And I don't know. It, that whole apple pie thing that we saw, you know, at the end of season five and went in on season six, it was, it was a forced, I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's something that Dean thinks that he longs for. As opposed to what he actually does. Like, what what we get this impression of is that Dean wants to have a life with hunting, but also his friends and family safe around him. And he couldn't really envision the two things together. So he either has, you know, everything is safe, which to him is normal life, or he has his life. And it's in this Rockies bar that we really get to see the blending of the two. And it's so interesting to see how this dream has evolved in the narrative from season six to now. Um, it, it's it seems more um, genuine. And- yes, that Dean actually has something that he, if he tried to do this in the future, it would stick. Yeah, yeah. So. And I I was thinking about the way that say Sam approaches the hunter hub to the way that dean approaches this bar like sam when he is working with other hunters he sees himself in this position where he has the information he has you know the lore the research everything that they need in order to be safe and i'm giving them a buddy system and we're doing body cams and we're bringing an educational force to this like he is very much just looking at the hunter's life and seeing the things from outside you could bring to it to make it safer and make it better yeah. but dean is doing something similar in that he wants to have this ground zero where hunters can come to and like trade information but ultimately what dean is looking for is some place where the hunters can kind of take their hat off kick up their boots and just rest and know that they are safe he isn't really looking at giving them information being their bobby or having their back he just wants to have a place where hunters can come to and be safe sam and dean like no no no. i i have i have many things to say okay don't yep 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 just i was just saying sam and dean they are both like so in this life and it's really curious to see how Sam, who had left for Stanford, who had really tried to do the normal life and then got sucked back in, he's actually the one who stays more embedded in the hunter aspect of his life when given the opportunity. Well, I could yeah. talk I could talk for literal days on how um, you know, Sam, lashed out and struck out uh with stanford you know it was it was a it was one part a fuck you but one part i don't know it i i see i see stanford for sam as an experiment um that actually it was what he thought he wanted but it wasn't actually what he wanted we are told again and again and again that Sam was always a better hunter than Dean was. Now, now uh, we take that as you will. I mean, agree or disagree, but the, that's what the narrative tells us that that Sam took to hunting as a duck to water, always. And for him to leave it, it was um, it. It was more of a fuck you to John than it was a 
I want it. It's again, it was what Dean was doing with Lisa and this vision of the suburbs. Like, this is what I want. This yeah. is normal. But when you actually are doing it, you go, well, this is just what I thought I wanted. Yeah. And then on Dean's side of things, it is um, we see him. What we have revealed over the years is these, you know, the slow reveal of these resentments because we're told again and again that um this is all dean wants from life he loves hunting he's good at hunting he he, this is the family business and and this is all you know dean he's put all his stats into hunting and like he's not looking to re-roll and but then as we learn more about, you know, Dean growing up and, and Dean in the Stanford era, era and even what Dean is thinking now here, um, you know, with what is – I think that – okay, okay, I've, I'm spiraling. Okay, but <laughs> um, all these things to me – what Dean is thinking now, um, how Dean is talking about, you know, a future, his future and, you know, these vacations he talks about or even retirement in the last year, um, this bar here, all these things to me through all these years add up to Dean not being, you know, this is this is not the hunting is not what he wanted or needed so much as what he was forced into. Well, he's shedding that part of his identity, that Mm -hmm. it was something that he held so firmly as being intrinsically him. But he's had enough time and I think enough experience as himself to start going, well, what do I actually want? Like, not what I was told that I want or what I was raised to want. What do I actually want? And it's just this really simple, like, he wants to be around his friends and he wants his friends to be safe and he wants his family to be safe and we talked when this episode aired we talked it to death um what this bar means for dean and dean's character and dean as a caretaker and you know that's what dean is dean is a caretaker um but i think it all boils down to as you said how interesting it is to see to juxtapose Sam to Dean. I don't know if I use that word correctly, so sorry. <laughs> but I think it works. It's fine. Yeah, fine. It's, it's fine. got it. Um, to say to look at Sam in season twelve and now season fourteen, um, and this hunter network and and how he is the men of letters of the hunters. He is the Bobby of the hunters, and then here to see Dean, um. You know, Sam wants to improve and and take care of the hunters and be the information hub. hub. And, and Dean's just happy sitting in the back room doing shots with his best friend while he's working on paperwork. Like, uh, Dean working on paperwork. I didn't even talk about that, but I had so many emotions. Um, but but Dean with this bar, he is the Ellen to sam's bobby exactly i was thinking of that he is the roadhouse here yeah exactly and it is so perfect to their respective personalities and like i said this whole 
Oh my god. I, oh my god, I have a stomach ache thinking about season 15. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, and did you hear that apparently, I, I feel like they're trolling us, but that Jensen and Jared know how it ends for their characters? Sidebar. Um, I think they must. I don't like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like it because I think that it will color how they play this season. Yeah. And I'm like, if I catch one whiff of everybody dies, I'm going to be unhappy. <laughs> to think that they know already what is going down. I just don't even know what to think about it. I'm but, like, just don't kill them. I know. And that's what we're talking about right here. Um, we're looking at what their futures might look like. And... And what they want, one, what they want their futures to look like, and two, what their futures could be, realistically. Sam could be chief to the Hunter Hub. He could build up Bobby's legacy and, 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 you know, he could build up a new men and women of letters. uh, And he would excel at it. And then on the other side of this coin, there's Dean, who could be the next roadhouse, who wants to be the next roadhouse, and who wants this home base, and who wants to just be a place of safety and contentment for the a, a place for these hunters to have somewhere to go and to, like you said, kick up their feet and take a load off. Um and he could be that for people and that is that is dean and this mm-hmm. is sam and this is what it could be and i'm so scared i'm so scared b i just ugh. i i know i'm like i'm just so scared that it's going to be a one or the other or both die <laughs> no no I'm like, even if that happens, what's happening afterwards is a fix-it fic where Billy is just like, ring-a-ding-ding, motherfucker, you thought you were going to nap in heaven now? I got work for you. Like, There's no way. There's no way. And Are you kidding me? Like, fucking Jared was like, I hope that, like, we both die at the end. I'm like, how can you go through 15 years? And I don't know. I just think, like, as an... As a message for the show, it would fucking suck. I think that's more of a troll than anything else. I don't know. I don't trust them. They're all <laughs> trickster gods. <laughs> They're all trickster gods. Um, yeah. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna drink until season 15, episode 20 comes out. <laughs> hey, hey. We still, got, we still got a page and a half of notes to go. Um, I'm like, we're 30 minutes in. <laughs> are we really no we're we are. in the the killagool get a beer that's the 30 minute mark oh my gosh yeah. um bonage <laughs> this is not our season 15 uh speculation episode this is no <laughs> this is uh, sam and Cass desperately diving right in desperately trying to expose this dream for what it is and convince dean that this this is not real yes okay bouncing back bouncing back (laughs) i'm ready lots of sad thoughts but now we're into good ones so sam and Cass 
have showed up and they see Dean acting out this bartender role and they immediately start arguing with him, trying to snap him out of it. Yeah, yeah. They hop right in trying to get him to uh, wake up from this unreality. Yeah. And like Pamela's not even real. And she's like, I'm plenty real. And Cass just calling her a complex manifestation made to distract Dean. And she's just, wow, you really know how to talk to women. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're just having difficulty differentiating between outside and outside. Like, okay, it's raining here. Reality. Come on, let's go back there. I feel like we have Dean um, reacting genuinely in the moment. Like, he he doesn't, he's not given enough time to even grow serious about it, to, to yeah. uh, react. Be- he's been bubbly and jokesy with the businesswoman, with Pamela, and so to see them back, like, he's still following a dream logic where, oh, you guys are here, and them arguing just doesn't have any grounds yet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so Sam and Cass are saying, like, this isn't real. And he's, Dean is responding, but he's like, and uh, did you have some shots on the way here? Or basically. Um, mm-hmm. but, but Sam says, this isn't real. It's all Michael. And Michael's the magic word because the loop resets. Yes. And they're skipping like a needle on a vinyl record. They, at first, Dean and Pamela disappear into the back room. Then they're in the cooler. Then the scene resets all over again. And Sam and Cass are just like, this is so weird. Yeah, yeah. It Uh, resets to the vamps showing up and both Sam and Cass get sprayed with blood. And then it resets again. And, oh my god. <laughs> Pam says, dang, guys, you guys got messy on the uh, ghoul hunt there. And Sam, okay, when Sam gets sprayed by the decapitated uh, vamp there, uh, he looks so offended. He looks just, like, so affronted. Like, oh. yeah, I did not come here for this. <laughs> and... And then when it resets and Pam's like, man, guys, you you guys need a shower? Uh, <laughs> Rehack the beers, eh? You guys are sounding a little crazy. <laughs> well, Cass says, no, we did not get messy on our ghoul hunt. We got messy right here just now when you decapitated a vampire in front of us and that's when pam is like uh-huh, uh-huh. had a few too many already okay <laughs> and dean is still just not uh he's not he's not being allowed to catch up i i feel yeah it just isn't clicking i think because he's resetting too you know yeah And Sam's trying to say, the loop is in your mind. Michael is possessing you. And Dean only knows about their Michael, who's currently in the cage. Oh my god, Pam's little, hey, Dean, if this is a dream, can't you just, like, lucid dream it? Uh I was like, I'm going to die. (laughs) Pamela's killing it. I love her. She's Mm -hmm. such a, oh my god, she's such a dynamic character. I miss her a lot. Oh, same here. She, um... Sam and Cass are now pointing to Pam like, Dean, try to remember Pam was blinded by and Cass. Then, and then yeah. all of a sudden she's blind. And she's always been blind, thanks to Feathers over there. And oh my god. Cass just urgently telling Dean, like, it was an accident. Like, please believe me, it was an accident. Well, you know what I really loved about it? It was, um, he starts to say to Pamela, 
he starts to apologize to Pamela. He says that was an accident is what follows. But he turns to Dean instead because he's speaking to Dean um, with such urgency and such desperation um, to say, Dean, that was an accident for him to. I, I would just say like, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Right. Um, as a fan, I, it was gratifying to see this happen, but then in the narrative, it was super interesting to see Cass say that. He almost forgets that Pamela is just a projection and then he has to write it around onto Dean to say it. And, and it, it seems so important to him that Dean hear it. Yes. Um, and, and, and Sam follows that to say, and Dean, try to remember Pam died. Yes. She died helping us. And then all of a sudden, when he looks back to that side of the bar, Pamela's gone. Oh my God. And Dean looking upset. And it's just like his life, the dream. And Cass pointing out it's a dream. Yeah. And just begging him to remember because they need him to come back. I thought this was so interesting that, um, one, it was Cass, not Sam, that's making the emotional plea here. He says, we, this is a dream and you have a life outside of this. You have people who need you outside of this and we need you to come back to us Mm -hmm. and one again that it was cast not sam here making that emotional you know plea and two just how misha and cast sold it the desperation in his in him yeah because it follows for the way that sam and cast's characters have been moving through the story like Sam has been the one that's been just head down focusing on the next step that will get them closer towards their goal. And it's been Cass who has more of the doubts and the emotional fears as they're going through. Sam's been the puzzler, whereas Cass has been sitting here in a more emotional state. And so now that they're finally in the position of talking to Dean, it's Sam who is sitting there still kind of puzzling in the background, but Cass who is making the emotional play. That's a great point. And you're right. It is something that has been consistent through this season. Um, And, you know, as a viewer, we always appreciate that. And talking about Sam puzzling... He lights on something, uh, something that would snap Dean out of it. And he says, Poughkeepsie. Yes. He whispers <laughs> Poughkeepsie. And Dean has like a twitch. Like he, it, it hits something for him. And we get this flashback recollection of the things that Michael has suppressed. I, so with Cass, um, him pleading with Dean trying to connect emotionally we see in dean we talk about you know uh, facial (laughs) Mm -hmm. face journeys face journeys uh we see dean kind of coming out of it a little bit he's he's so up to this point it's almost been a joke you know uh but here we're actually seeing a crack where uh where you know 
there's there's something wrong um or or this is i see the urgency in you and i recognize that it's something that i need to respond to um and then sam says poughkeepsie and dean just breaks for sam to say that there's no denying it anymore. There's no safety in the lie anymore. He has no choice. He didn't want to accept that what Cass and Sam were saying are, are true because he doesn't want to uh, depart from this happiness that he has found. Um, uh, so he has been subconsciously or under Michael's influence, he has been resistant to it. Um, but uh, between Cass, you know, bringing a seriousness to it that Dean can't ignore and Sam saying the one thing that Sam hitting the red button. Yeah. Sam hitting the red button. It's just like, he, It was hard. It was hard to watch because we want Dean to be happy, but he can't. (laughs) And it's, it's breaking the dream. It's, this is just a dream. Like Cass says, it's a dream. And, and we, we have broken this, this, uh, this fantasy. And now we have Dean remembering everything. Yeah, Dean goes, he shudders and is like, I remember, I remember everything. Yeah. And in this moment where he's the most emotionally vulnerable, Michael clapping enters the bar. And he's just like, hey, fellas. I'm like, okay, fucko. He's back in the cap. He's got the... Looks like the clown town has joined us again. (laughs) Oh, man. And Dean is just immediately agitated. Well, I mean, just a, a a scene ago when um we had Cass and Sam enter the dream, the second that Sam said Michael, uh, Dean just was removed from yeah the, from the situation. The record skipped. The record skipped exactly. Michael was the magic word, and now to have Michael here in the quote unquote flesh, um, it's all. It, it it's all coming back and it is just it's not even like the right now but it's like you are you did this to me once before and here you are again and you're still doing it. like i can't be rid of you there's this huge emotional iceberg and we're just seeing the tip of it yeah and and michael goes back on his bullshit yeah he's like i got a monologue i Uh just i have lots of words i got no one to listen to and you're all here yay (laughs) and he's saying that he is dean and he knows all of his inner bullshit like that he only tolerates Cass as an iou for saving him from hell and he hasn't done anything but screw up since like this about Cass. yeah michael straight back into it he is uh on the attack but he's attacking sam and Cass here uh, and coming in on dean you know as michael is saying this he's just like almost incredulous like shaking his head he's like this is bullshit like well i don't know if we're there yet but yes that exactly it's just uh he's just shaking his head no but 
to Cass and what we know of Cass, we see that this is hitting hard. This is everything that Cass fears. And then he goes straight, Michael goes straight into Sam to say, uh, and Sam, the happiest that Dean has ever been was when you left for college, leaving Dean and his dad to hunt without the burden that is you, his little brother. And it, Dean was glad that you left because he knows that you would do nothing but abandon him again and again and again. And and at this point, this is the oh no bullshit point because what we know is that uh, that was the worst moment of his life. Yes. That was the worst uh, period of his life. Uh, that was his most unhappiest. And uh, Dean is almost stepping forward now. And, and this is when his face is telling us this is absolute bullshit. This is not my deepest, darkest secrets from the people that I love. This is this is not true. But counter to that, we see Sam. We see that this is hurting Sam. This is... Yeah, because I think um, what Michael is doing here is, like you say, he's not looking to hurt Dean with this. I think that this is more Dean's fears that this is what Sam or Cass might think he thinks. And if these are the things he's afraid they believe of themselves, then Michael has just taken them and put them out in open air. And so initially it would be Dean's fear at having these things out there, but then it would be more his indignation and his anger at having these fears used to hurt Sam and to hurt Cass. He's scared that this is what they think he thinks of them. Because this is uh, Sam and Cass's biggest fears we know this we know uh, in in regards to dean we know that Cass is like really insecure about his place in the family and uh that he feels he must make up for his mistakes and he has to have a usefulness he has to prove why he should be around exactly and with sam uh we know that So with Sam, it's a little bit more complicated because it's almost like Sam's fears for Dean are feeding into Dean's fears for Sam. Um, Well, I I would say, like, I think Sam is aware that Dean has this fear that he'll be abandoned and that there's been times in his past where maybe he's done this. And so Sam feels like he has to make up for those things. Yeah, we're we're feeding on both Sam and uh, Cass's guilt uh, in regards to Dean, and I think it is just exactly as you say. Uh, Michael is not digging up uh, Dean's true feelings; he's digging up what Dean knows about his people. His people being Sam, yeah, and Jack, and Cass. Yeah, Michael can't be in their minds, but he can glean from Dean what he thinks their fears are and then just push on them. Yeah. And um, I I don't know, it's just interesting, especially tying it back to Jack earlier. Yes. Uh, We, putting it in that light, Dean would would fear most that uh, Jack doesn't feel 
like Dean really genuinely cares for him no matter what Dean says or how yeah. Dean presents his Dean worries he can't make up for what he was like upon their first meeting. Exactly. I'm I'm not putting it into words correctly. You you did a good job of it. It's not all of this is not from Dean. It's it's definitely more Dean's fears for yeah. his people. It's it's tailored to his people because like okay, that pin that we stuck in Michael earlier where he was saying that well, Dean doesn't care about you, Jack, the way that he cares about Sam or Cass. And now the complete 180 on that when he's trying to talk to Sam and Cass saying, oh, yeah. Dean doesn't actually care about you guys. Dean's desperate to get away from you because you guys are just a burden, your responsibility. And because he wants to get away, that's why he said yes. Like, it's the exact contrary subject that he was saying to Jack. And exactly. so that's just telling you right there, like, either way, he was bullshitting someone. Yeah, he's saying to Sam and Dean the same thing that he said to Jack, uh, and while doing it, directly contradicting what he said to Jack, uh, he says to Dean, you don't need them, you don't even like them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're responsibilities you desperately want away from. Look at this, look at this bar you want away from it all yeah which you know might have a tidbit of truth but definitely no uh, foundation on no. how dean feels about his people no dean wants something for himself yes but that doesn't mean that he wants to give away everything else that he has yeah and yeah, so as he's saying all this shit, I think that Cass is like, okay, yeah, two and two. Somehow he's coming up with seven. Like, this don't make sense. And he realizes that Michael is stalling for some reason. So Cass is the one who says, you're stalling. Yes. And when he says that, we cut back to Maggie and the other hunters entering the bunker. And they're barely ahead of the monsters that they're racing. Yeah. And they're trying to prepare to defend the bunker. And she tells this one hunter named Tiger to go up to the door and barricade that. And yeah, Jack is just like, kind of, what's going on? And Maggie's like, where's Sam? We need to get ready to action and she sees that uh sam is out <laughs> for the count yeah, dean is able. out for the count uh, Cass is out for the count and jack is just sitting there like whoops <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i'm all you got and maggie is just okay okay we can do this okay yes Yes, and then back into Dean's mental rocky bar here, um, Sam realizes that Michael is waiting for the monster rescue to come. Those monsters that had left Kansas City heading west, well, that's what Michael is waiting on. And so um, Dean is trying to goad Michael into killing them, but he hasn't. And then they go, oh, wait, so the reason why you're all talk is because your powers don't work in here. And we haven't talked over much about how this is the most Jensen as Michael we have gotten in the whole season, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a, this is a lot. And um, there was one moment here in this scene where, like you said, Dean is trying to goad Michael into, you know, 
proving that he's not as helpless as they are uh, in this in this dream space. Yeah, you have no advantage in here. Yeah. And Michael basically dismisses that, saying that he can destroy worlds, and so he's just going to crush them with his bare hands. And Dean, again, just goading, prove it. Yeah, and and he, Dean says, prove it, kill us all. If you're so powerful, you can just nuke us now. And Jen, this is that Jensen as Michael moment. He flicks a look to Sam and Cass, and he says, is that what you want? Basically calling back to, you want them gone, right? You, you want to be free of your burdens, your burdens being Sam and Cass and, and this life that you find yourself entrenched in that you hate but well i also took that as like if he's flicking a look to sam and Cass, it's like okay do you guys agree like he's looking for dissent among the ranks trying to get them to fight against each other and and that's another question that i'm kind of like was he trying to pick a fight by by you know Cass called him out on stalling for time, but did he want to pick a fight between Cass and Dean and Sam and Dean? Well, I think his intention was to sow dissent among the ranks. Like, if they are infighting, if I can create doubt between them, then Dean might doubt the reason that they're here. Like, he might start doubting everything. All I need is for them to not be a united front, and I can twist my advantages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poorly worded when I said pick a fight. I meant to pick a fight between the team uh, separate from him yeah for sure and we actually get to see a fight with michael on the offensive for once yeah Uh, yeah. for once we're seeing michael not just watching a fight come at him and letting the blows go by and then picking the moment he goes in instead we're actually seeing michael strike out and he is tossing them around he is yeah he is really the destroyer of worlds. He is killing it. He, smooth criminal Michael. He when he decides to go on the offensive, he is he is putting the Winchesters to shame here, basically. Um, and you said before that it's so interesting how Michael fights because he never, you know, seems concerned. He doesn't have to be concerned. He's just waiting for his opportunity and then he's going to take it. He's always in absolute control. Um, And here, you know, he does have to be uh, a bit more aggressive. uh, Well, I think at this point, he's no longer trying to work towards some plan. He's like, you know what, you little punks? Fuck you. And you guys want to fight? You've been goading me? Well, here you're going to get it. And he actually lets loose a bit on them. Yeah, yeah. And let loose he does. He I mean, they've been them. questioning his power. He doesn't like to be questioned. He likes to be this absolute hoity-toity thing. And it's like, okay, so you guys are going to sit here and point out all my weaknesses? Well, I'm going to be a little bitch and slap you around. <laughs> and he puts them all on their ass. They're Fuck all yeah. now on the back foot. Yeah. So that fight starts going. It's a great fight, too. Oh, I loved it. Oh, yeah. And, like, again, chef kisses towards the stunt coordinator and the fight coordinator. Yeah, we're always hitting it out of the park. It's a great, yeah. 
Yeah. So that fight's ongoing. And then back in the bunker, the main door is rattling. And it's like, okay, are we okay? And then the Tiger, our fucking, our, our Chadley <laughs> solo who headed out into the woods, his eyes flash green and has Michael's grace a bit to it. And you're like, oh, fuck, this is an OP shapeshifter that Tiger got replaced in the woods. And he... Oh, my God! You're right! I didn't... Oh, my God. Okay, I was so confused. I was so very confused. I thought that Tiger was just infected, you know? Like, yeah, I that, that he, he was... could have been a traitor since Kansas City. I didn't, I didn't even know what to think. I thought it was, like, some sort of cheap shot on... We have a sleeper cell agent. Um, mm-hmm. But but he was replaced by a shifter. That makes so much more sense because I was like, okay, so if he was just like scratched or bitten in the woods, then how would he have turned coat so swiftly? Mm-hmm. Or was he always a monster? Or I feel like it was on? the eyes, like the way that they had the eyes flash green. It was to indicate this is like, it's not a vamp. It's not a wolf. It's a shifter. I was not, I did not catch that, but you're so right. Thank you. Thank you for solving that mystery for me because (laughs) I I did not know what to think of it. But yeah, so Tiger turns on Maggie and says, Tiger shouldn't have gone in the woods and you should have locked the door because before we had had Maggie instructing Tiger to make sure that the doors were barricaded and and, nope. and and Tiger was like I'm sure glad I was the one asked to do this directive like because he didn't lock the door and the monsters come pouring in and you know one of the reasons why I didn't think Shifter in this moment is because we've been talking we've only name dropped uh, uh, werewolves and vampires right so far but here on all of these baddies storming the bunker, we have monsters other than werewolves and vampires. We have one like scaly thing. I don't know what it is. I don't. I, I think that there was a Rougarou in here. Oh, is that what the green thing was? Or I kind of was looking at the wiki for questions, and it's like there's a couple of um, OP monsters we haven't seen before. Yeah, so we have these monsters storming the bunker, and it's not just werewolves and vampires. We see other flavors of monster here. Yeah, there's a djinn in the list here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because there was one tattooed figure who came storming down the stairs. Yeah, that that's so... Like, I like this a lot more, that Michael could put his... Well... So we had the djinn, Michael's djinn, in Nightmare Logic, but in the last episode, Michael said, vampire, werewolf, it doesn't matter, but we, we keep this monster umbrella, but we have been kind of limiting ourselves on what that means so far. Well, I think they've been really focusing on the ones that have an infection to spread. Like a djinn can't really make people into djinn and a shifter can't make people into shifters. They just can replace them. So like these are things that they haven't really had an opportunity to shine in the plot. 
Perfect. Again, you answering my questions. Thank you, B. I I sit here and I'm like, what would the director think? <laughs> no, yeah, that's so right. That's so right. Because the whole Kansas City thing was uh, Michael wanted to not kill everyone he he wanted to spread his army yeah um he's so playing that, a game of contagion ex, ex, i i love that game i'm so good <laughs> at it and i always name my viruses after uh, uh genesis uh, no after uh what are the first five books of the bible called oh my god um you're asking me religious things? I'm sorry. I Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I was like Mikey and Paul and Steve. <laughs> and I always give my viruses a uh, uh, biblical names. <laughs> Anyways, we're Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the Jinn, the Vamps, the Wolves the Rougarou, they come pouring down the stairs and they are killing hunters. Like, they are kicking ass. And Jack is watching them lose and Maggie is sprawled out on the ground and she looks so scared. And Jack just can't abide by standing guard any longer. He has to do something. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing he can do. He he has no weapon. He has no... He's just sitting here, standing here, watching his friends die. And as we know, Jack, we know that that is not something he can abide by. No. And he, with a shout and a blast of power, the first that we've seen this whole season... Mm-hmm. Um, Jack is back and he ashes out uh, this entire room of monsters. Yeah. Five or six of them all at once just get dusted. And he staggers a bit afterwards, but he's still standing. Yeah. So crisis kind of averted in the real world. Let's go back into Rocky's bar. <laughs> Sam, Dean, and Cass have triangulated themselves around Michael and like he's just threatening that okay you know what if you try and force me out well you're all fucking meat juice on the floor like I'm going to wreck all of you well uh, he actually directs that to Dean um, he's taunting them saying even if you were to force me out I could rip you apart as I leave. I could leave you as nothing but meat and bones. Um, I could take your conscious. Uh, You're with as me. good as dead if I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we said before Michael's kicking ass, but it is three on one, and Michael does not have his super strength or super speed, or he is just, he is just a fighter. Yeah. Um, and so we do have him cornered and he almost recognizes that and then he starts trying to negotiate. Yeah, he's Not, trying to change and, tactics. In the smuggest, you know, most uh, high and mighty way possible. Yeah. There's no negotiation in his tone. He's just saying, matter of fact, uh, no matter what, I win. It's the same thing he's been saying. If you force me out, Dean, I'll take you down with me. Yeah. And uh, and Dean says, okay. 
can't force you out, then I'll keep you here. Well, he says, then we keep him in. Yeah, yeah. And he charges at Michael and he slams him into the side of the this door, um, the door to the freezer that we've been seeing. And and Michael, uh, it's this group effort getting him in there, though. Like, yeah, it is. That's the thing that I love is it. We've seen this whole time that Michael is trying to divide them. He's trying to turn Jack and Cass and Sam and Dean against one another. And in this moment, even when he's like, if you force me out, I'm going to turn you to like pink spray on my way out. They're like, fine, we're just going to do something else. Like it goes back to his initial speech of saying hope was all that you guys had. Like you had no chance of winning, but because of hope, you drove yourself here. And here they are again at the end where he's trying to drain them of all hope. And they're like, you know what? We just thought of something else to do. And they work together and they achieve it. And you're so right where Dean does say, we don't kick him out. We keep him in. So it is that unity that you're talking about. And it's a group effort that uh, uh, Dean distracts Michael uh, to get him to this door. Uh, and then Michael might lay Dean out. But then that distraction is all that Sam needed to force him into the freezer. Yeah. And then, like, Cass and them, they'd slam the door and grab the screwdriver and they force it into the walk-in cooler's handle to keep it from opening. And Dean says, my mind, my rules, I got them. I am the cage. Yes. <laughs> Fuck, that was good. I'm it was really good. It was really good. Because, yeah, we were sitting there in this impossible situation. What do you do? And to have the characters not give up hope and to come up with this as the solution. Just, I love it. I love when... <laughs> They've been on their back foot this whole episode, but they haven't given up. And though they might fear for things that might turn out one way or they have doubts, they still are proceeding with the intention of it working out. And it's such a it's such a twist, but such a satisfying twist to end on this to and we're not ending yet, but to end on this to uh, we've been thinking since the beginning of the season, uh, what is Dean going to do about this Michael situation, this Michael possession, and this uh, trap that they've set and captured Michael in within Dean's own mind? It's another question answered. And um, I love that it doesn't feel cheap. Like, it doesn't no. feel like a MacGuffin. It doesn't feel like a deus ex machina. It was something, like... Michael chose to put Dean in this construct thinking that he had it won, but it was the fact that he made this construct and that Cass, Jack, and Sam had just enough power to withhold Michael long enough to, like, basically pull his cards on him. Like, okay, show me your deck and force Michael to come into the same level area as they were playing, and then they just beat him. This is super satisfying. Fuck yes. I love, like, we couldn't predict it at the end of episode nine, but by the end of episode 10 here, you're like, fuck, that was good. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we enter into 
the episode wrap up basically at this yes. point. Yes. Yeah. Because we have Michael trapped and Michael is not happy about it. But, no. But Dean says, I got him. Yes. And he is just exuding confidence for this, for the moment. Yeah. And then back in reality, we have Jack and Maggie, and they're like, oh boy, there is a mess to clean up here. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't Sam. say Jack. Yeah. Sam and Maggie, and Maggie is almost apologetic that sh- they allowed the monsters to even reach the bunker. Yeah. I, uh, but, but Sam turns to her with such genuine pride and says, Maggie, thank you. Yeah, thank you for everything. She's looking at Maggie and almost, I mean, sorry, he is looking at Maggie and he seems to be seeing the leader that she's becoming and oh, oh, my heart. Oh, I know. And yeah, she's being a bit dismissive and she's just saying, oh, no, like Jack did all that angel stuff and that's why it worked out. Yeah, she says it wasn't just me, it was Jack. And, um, And then she... You know, they both kind of enter into this worried note that's to say, Maggie says, uh, I didn't know Jack could still do that kind of angel stuff. And Sam becoming a bit speculative, he says, no, I didn't either. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit news to me, too. Because, like, he knew Jack brought it Mm -hmm. up earlier, but he thought that they had agreed on the note of don't do it because Dean wouldn't want that. But yeah, it's just some worry. Yeah. And we get to see it in a bit more detail in this next scene because we have Cass scolding Jack in the kitchen and saying that Jack needs his soul to stay alive. Like, he can't be burning it off, even if it is for what he perceives as a good cause. And Jack says it was uh, it was an accident that I even did this, that this burst out of me. And Cass says, you cannot afford these kinds of accidents. And he's so worried. He's trying to drill in, like, this is not just your life. This is your soul that we're talking about. Yeah. And he says, it's about you staying you. He's seen what it's like when people don't have their souls. And he wouldn't wish that upon anyone, least of all Jack. And Jack did this because he didn't want them to be killed. But... So there's this middle ground that they're trying to reach where Cass is just trying to be certain that Jack understands how severe this is and how he cannot do it again. And he does understand why Jack did it, but it just can't happen. Yeah, still understanding. um, But I really like the distinction that he's trying so hard to make here that this is not life and death. This is your soul and this is you your person you know yes because what we know makes what up life, you yeah we know what life and death is but soullessness to to lose your soul that's still like almost the most terrifying thing it's an undeath yeah yeah so uh, but yeah jack yeah. promises and then Cass looks more he looks content for it and he gets up and has a hand on his shoulder kind of look looking to try and impart with like some physical some body language that you know we're okay but poor jack he just doesn't look comforted well we know how jack is with you know his own perceived usefulness issues yes he's very like dean in this 
where if he has a failure or something that he perceives that he could have done better, then it just eats at him. And, and this is, you know, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I, I, I'm not like projecting into the next, to the rest of the season, but we're setting us up for something to worry about for the rest of the season because this you know this opening episode we're not only answering the questions that we left hanging in the cliffhanger of the last episode but we're setting up the rest of the season with this one episode this is a lot yeah and like pulling a pamela here but like we don't even see what's coming for us Michael in, in in trapped in Dean's mind, um, Michael's monsters, and now Jack and his soul, uh, and knowing that he can burn his soul, he has the ability to to burst out with this magic and burn his soul. Um, yeah, it's a it's a lot, and 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 there's but there's more to come because we have Dean in his room, and. Yes. He is standing at his sink uh, in front of the mirror, and he is struggling. He is hunched over the sink and, and uh, hunched before chanting. this mirror, I should say. Yes. Yes. He has this mantra that he's telling himself, it's just you. It's just you. He's reassuring himself. He's trying to reassure himself, and we're cutting in to this m- mantra, like you're saying, um, with these cuts of Michael pounding against the, this freezer door. He is shouting. He is pounding. He is throwing things at the walls and the door. And he is, we see that screwdriver in the lock, just rattling, rattling. We see this door trying to give. And um, we get the impression that Dean is sitting here and he is putting everything into keeping this door closed yeah that this hissy fit that michael is throwing is really taxing him but dean is trying to find this calm center despite the noise to try and just hone his focus and continue to fight and keep that door from rattling open and he's trying to reassure himself, saying, it's just you. It, it, Michael is locked away. It's just you here. But then the last thing he says is, it's all you. Yeah. Which is a shift into, it's all on you exactly. to keep him Exactly. In. Like, it's no longer, oh, it's just me holding him back, or it's just me in here. But now it, it's all on me to keep it this way. Yeah. And it's such a sad moment when you consider how it was a group effort to put Michael in there. And yet when push comes to shove, it does become this burden that is unduly focused. Like Dean has to be the one to hold it. Yeah. But then Billy appears. (laughs) Oh, my God. And, And continuing this great tradition she doesn't have all good news to bring (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah what oh my gosh billy appears behind dean with her typical hey dean and dean whoops around and he says knock why don't you very reminiscent of uh old angel cast but um billy death does know all and she says uh what a figure that the pounding in her head is 
uh, knock enough. Um, and it, Billy, 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 I love you. I love you. But bear of bad news, Billy. She, um, we haven't seen her for a while. We haven't. We haven't seen her since the Rowena thing. Yeah, funeralia. Yeah. But before that, uh, uh, Billy warned Dean and she brings it up again now she warned Dean that nothing good could come of traveling to or meddling in other worlds and uh, Dean says you know getting Jack back getting my mom back uh, where I'm standing it was worth it and as he says it he has to actually take a moment to collect himself because he, he is again fighting back that pounding in his head yeah he has that internal assault that he's dealing with and uh billy says are you are you sure about that just look at you now yeah yeah and uh before before we get into the final little twist uh dean is wearing this green henley and (laughs) i just i'm sorry (laughs) Uh, three different times in, in, in this last scene, I have Green Henley, what the fuck? What the fuck? I'm going to have to rewatch. Those eyes are popping. Okay. But what does Billy have to say? Tell me more. Well, she's essentially here because in Death's Reading Room, the books that were dedicated towards all the potential ends for Dean have been rewritten, and there is now only one ending to all of them. And it is essentially that Michael escapes, and using Dean, he destroys the world. All of them, except one. Yeah, Dean asks all of them, and Billy. God, I love, I fucking love death so much. Uh, So good. (laughs) She says all of them except one, and she hands over a single black notebook. And she allows Dean to, you know, open it and read it. And... And, you know, in doing this, we, we, we didn't talk about it, but uh, uh, in this Dean death conversation, um, Dean brings up the fact that uh, death meddled, right? Yeah. In allowing Violet to, to interfere. Um, yeah. And Billy contradicts and says, I took a calculated risk. Yeah. And this is her taking another calculated risk and she shows dean this notebook this one ending that doesn't uh, presumably doesn't end in the death of the universe yeah um the book death hands it over dean looks at it and he looks shooketh he's just like (laughs) what am i supposed to do with this and death just goes that's up to you and my last line here, yeah, Dean is shooketh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's basically it. And Jensen's you know what? This was a, I know, right? He reads the book, and uh, we don't know what to think. We don't know what to think. Uh, we talk again, talking about all of the speculation that came off of this episode. Um, I this is one of those moments where I know we had theories, but I don't remember them. Or the fandom had theories, but I don't remember them. What did we think was going to come out of this book? Well, I know that we saw the preview that involved the creation of this box and or the tossing of it into the ocean. And so we were like, he's going to fucking... 
He's going to martyr himself, basically, to remove the Michael problem. But there was so much more than that before we knew anything about the box. There was something, there was, there was, there were some big ideas out there before we knew anything about what was actually going to happen. And now in, I can't remember. In the fandom? Or? Yeah, in the I, fandom. I, I know where I was trying to go with the box, but I'm like, the box is like the next episode. So we got the preview right after this. Oh, is the box, you're right, the box is the next episode. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Okay. Okay. But it was right. like, what is going to happen with the box, I feel like, was the biggest speculation. Are they going to follow through with it? Is it going to have these repercussions that we don't know about? Like, Yeah, I'm... I feel like there were some big ideas out there, and I can't recall a single one. So, listeners, if you remember what... Uh, if, if you want to link us some um, of the, you know, OG season 14 episode 10 meta on the speculation on what was in this book um i'm super interested because i'm not recalling what was in there i i know that there was like other world shit there was some death shit there was some cage shit it was all over the place and it was awesome i loved it um again just one of those episodes that brought out so much speculation and it's always so much fun oh i love it yeah um yeah and that's that's the end. But um, you're gonna have to go first this time. What was your final takeaway? Be um, <laughs> I. You're going pro- first because this is a hard one. <laughs> yeah, I think I really am coming back to the way that Dean's dream, like this bar, and the way that it is the roadhouse to Sam's Bobby. Yeah, that they if they had the opportunity for a moment of peace in like for the hunting world to just calm down, I could see them having a future where, you know, Sam is at the Men of Letters bunker, but maybe Dean buys a bar in Lebanon and he spends his nights there and then like comes home to like that. They're still in each other's orbits, but they have a bit more space to be into their own interests and have their own things. Yeah. I I just really liked that insight and the vision that that forms as being a potential way that the series could end. I mean, God willing, and then the creek don't rise, but. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, just all of what that bar represented for the future that Dean seems to be actually interested in as opposed to the one that he maybe thought he should have been interested in, like the suburbs with Lisa. Yeah. And following that, um, you know, we can think about what the feature for Sam would look like as well. Um, and it, it's it, it's so interesting to, oh my God, it's yeah. <laughs> so much spirals and so much season 15 uh, finale. <sighs> Hopes and dreams. Hopes yes. and dreams. Yes. Um, I think that my final takeaway uh, has to be Michael. Yeah. Michael was phenomenal this episode. I loved um, the fight. I, uh, you know, picking at the, the douchebaggery, but he was a great douchebag this episode. Um, but mostly, um, most importantly, 
my questions were answered this episode. You know, when thinking on Michael's character, there was so much in me that was just one big question mark. And um, I didn't really connect with him as a character or his motivations. Or I was just waiting for uh, the moment when we saw that crack. Yes. Um. And and saw the actual character of Michael. And this was that moment. Uh, we've had him presenting as Michael for so long. Um, and, and, you know, in a sense, that is that is him. But this was this episode was the moment when I uh, really connected with him. Yeah, and you could appreciate him as a villain and the questions he raises about the nature of God. Yeah, yeah. It was a big payoff for me, personally, um, in what yeah. I wanted from, you know, the narrative and, and the road so far. And I'd agree. It was really satisfying to have it was very satisfying. the moment where he stopped being performative like he stopped Uh doing the dean thing and just putting on (laughs) the face that he is trying to be and he actually lets loose that you know we just we just wanted dad to come back home and he didn't and now i'm throwing a fit it was so satisfying and it's um as a viewer those big payoffs are i i don't want to say few and far between but, but it's when they rare. come, they shine. Yeah, when they come, they shine. It's rare that you're just completely happy with the way that something played out. Um, especially when you weren't expecting it to play out that way. Yeah, Yaki did a really great job with this episode. He did. He did. And thank you, Amanda Tapping. Is that your yes. name? Sorry. <laughs> Is it Amanda? Yeah. And thank you, Amanda Tapping. So good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And it was, I, you know, I can talk about what we expected versus what we got with the Kansas City Thanos snap thing. But overall, because we kind of touched on it last episode, coming off of that mid-series finale, we really were thinking, the big question was, how big are they going to go with this? Exactly. did we just start the apocalypse? Did we just reveal the supernatural world? Did we just kill Kansas City? Yeah, um, there was no telling what that snap would represent. But yeah, what we like we said last episode, the psychology in media at that time was you're pulling from the Thanos snap. Yeah, yeah, this is big. This is life changing. This is universe changing. Yeah. And so we're really left on that note of thinking that that could be the way it goes. And, like, that's not how it played out, and I can understand why it didn't, but I'm like, oh, man, again, fan fiction can bring that to (laughs) a really interesting place, I would think. This episode didn't go that big, but it still did answer a lot of our questions in a very satisfying way. And, you know, tugged at the heartstrings with the Dean dream so great yeah. 9 out of 10 so good oh no now I feel bad for not giving <laughs> I could never rate these episodes because I would I would feel bad for docking points <laughs> anyways that was 
season 14, episode 10, Nihilism. Next week, we will be discussing season 14, episode 11, Damaged Goods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so welcome back, guys. Thank you for sticking with us for our uh, marathon-length episode. But we had a lot of fun recording, and we hope you had a lot of fun listening. And uh, if you ever want to reach out to us, you should know how to do it. But B's going to write it down for you anyways. Yep. We have email, nochickflickpodcast at gmail.com. We have our website, nochickflickmoments.com or nochickflickpodcast.com and we have our tumblr nochickflickpodcast and our twitter nochickflickpod so we got honey bunches of oats <laughs> ways to reach out to us and we love hearing from you guys so please do not hesitate and uh yeah so we'll see you guys next week yeah yeah see you there love you bye bye I'm like looking through the app store. I'm like, where's Plague Inc.? <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs>